Litigators usually don't want surprises, but sometimes you can learn from them. We have to be ready for surprises during the course of the case, but when the surprise visits you in the trial, you don't pack your bag and leave. You have to carry on and go to the end of the trial. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and when we return, lawyers share some of their aha moments in both trial and pretrial work. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next. Folder sharing on Westlaw Next enables you to tap into previous research across organizational boundaries like never before, saving you time from reinventing the wheel. Learn more at westlawnext.com. Sometimes aha moments come when your own expectations and prejudices are called into question. Louisiana personal injury lawyer James Williams learned this firsthand. Probably my my best um, aha moment is a trial I was involved in. It was a personal injury trial. I was representing the plaintiff. Uh, and at issue in the case was whether or not the, the plaintiff was really as injured as she claimed to be. Um, she was not, she didn't have broken bones or, or any sort of injury that you could see. It was all sort of a closed head injury and, and, and some other things that are hard to ascertain. You really have to believe the plaintiff or believe the plaintiff's doctors in order to find for the plaintiff. And so uh, juror number two in that case was a nurse. And ordinarily, uh, I don't like to have nurses on personal injury juries just, because they, tend to, just because they tend to substitute their um, experience for the evidence. And rather than, than going by what the evidence suggests, they say, oh, well, I know the way it really works or this wouldn't have happened because I know that, you know, there's some billing thing or some coding thing or something that has nothing to do with the case. It's often interjected by nurses or other medical professionals. So I, I generally try to keep them off of the jury in personal injury cases. The same way I like to try to keep accountants or other financial professionals off of business or financial litigation cases. Um, but in any event, uh, juror number two was a nurse and, um, the defendant's uh, independent medical examiner, IME physician, who examined my client and opined that my client, there was nothing wrong with my client, that the injury wasn't authentic. Um, this person took the stand, and I'm watching the jury, and as, and as the, the, the doctor is walking to the witness stand, juror number two turns to juror number one, and um, I can look at her, read her lips, and she says, I told you that was him. And I say, uh-oh. And he testifies, and juror number two is leaning forward. She's hanging on his every word. She is, she's, uh, I mean, really engaged with this witness, and I am really, really concerned at this point because, again, the entire case comes down to who they believe, the treating physicians or this IME physician. And as he as he finishes his testimony, he gets off of the witness stand, and uh, as he's walking by the jury box, juror number two looks at him, waves, and mouths the words, goodbye. And so I, I, I immediately, after you know, she leaves the, uh, after the judge leaves the courtroom, I ask the jurors to be excused, and I move to recuse the juror. And I say, Judge, clearly this woman knows the witness. She didn't disclose that in Hwadir. We've got to get her out of here because I am concerned about the connection she has with this doctor. The judge brings us in chambers. She says, well, I, I, Mr. Williams, I think you're kind of blowing this out of proportion. Um, I'll bring the woman in, and I'll, I'll talk to her. The judge brings the woman in, talks to her. 
she in in by herself. She brings the lawyers back in, and the judge says, "Look, I've talked to her. I think she can be fair and impartial. Um, I've gotten some more information. She does know this doctor, uh, not personally, but she's worked with the doctor. But I still think she can be fair and impartial. I lose it. I, mean, I said, Judge, how can you do that? How can you leave her on the jury? And I fight like with everything to try to get this woman off the jury. And the judge says, well, I'll bring her back in. I'll ask her some more questions. And this time, I'll record it so you all can hear and have a comfort level. And I say, Judge, that's unnecessary. We need to get her off right now. The judge excuses us, brings the woman in, interviews the woman again, brings them back, brings us back in and says, I'd like y'all to listen to the recording. And um, she plays the recording, and, and the, the juror says, she's asked the juror, how do you know the doctor? And the juror says, well, I know him by reputation. I stop the recording. I reach over and stop it. I say, <laughs> Judge, we don't have to go any further. I said, this is it. We, we have to get rid of this lady right now. You know, the more we listen, the more we're prejudicing the trial, let's go. And she, she, she backs me down and says, sit down, Mr. Williams, let's listen to the rest of it. So they push play again, and uh, the judge says, well, what is his reputation? And, the, and she says, he's an, um, he's an a-hole to all the nurses. And I say, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then she <laughs> And then she starts, uh, you can hear her uh, start sniffling, and her voice starts changing. And the judge says, I'm sorry, ma'am, is everything okay? Um, and, and she says, um, I'm just so upset. I hope I haven't messed things up for that poor plaintiff. And at that point, I am, I start frantically arguing, Judge, you were right. She could be fair and impartial. I don't know what I was thinking. Clearly, she's, you know, a fine juror for us. Um, and I kind of, of course, backed myself into a corner because I had argued so vigorously that this, uh, this juror be excluded. Thankfully, uh, the judge maintained her original position and was not persuaded by any of my arguing. Uh, and so juror number two did remain on the jury. Uh, we did win the case and got a, a very good verdict. But, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go well, on. what did the defense say? I mean, they must have taken up your position after you dropped it, right? <laughs> immediately. I mean, they immediately took up my position, and I said, Judge, I said, you said she could be fair. I said, no, listen, I'm just the lawyer. We, you know, you said she could be fair and impartial. Uh, you were right about this all along. Uh, just like you didn't listen to me then, don't listen to them then, you know. Um, and the defendants, of course, were were screaming at the top of their lungs to get this juror stricken. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, she she did remain. And, uh, you know, I learned I had co-counsel who really found the whole thing funny, although I didn't find it funny at the time. And he was almost doubled over in laughter once he realized that, the, that I had been fighting so hard to get this woman off the jury. She was really on our side. And... Uh, you know, I learned from that experience um, to not be so quick to, to, to judge jurors. Now, hers was a bit extreme as far as the waving and the et cetera, but um, to really dig a little deeper into, into juror demographics and not be so quick to dismiss or accept the juror based on very surface demographic characteristics and really try to look uh look deeper at what those uh, characteristics mean um, and not just at some of the very surface 
stereotypes that we attach to different demographic characteristics. And I, I think that's uh, that served me well going forward. I don't think I've, I've made uh, uh, a misstep quite that big since. How do you feel about nurses now on your personal injury cases? <laughs> you know, it, uh, it it depends on the kind of nurse. I ask a lot of questions. I ask questions about their interactions at work, what their responsibilities are. Um, if it's just a uh, just a, a run-of-the-mill nurse, I, I tend to be more accepting of them because of their sort of caregiver role. Uh, if it's a nurse that's in management, uh, I tend to to consider those the way I used to consider all nurses. Um, uh, you know, I, I dig more into their their, their relationships and and uh, at work, I mean, and, and with the patients and their approaches to care and things like that. Instead of just sort of wholesale dismissing all nurses as uh, as bad for your jury, because I think um, there's a certain caregiver um, mentality that you want that nurses have. Uh, I like teachers on my jury, and uh, through that experience, I've, I've started to look at nurses a little more closely when they're in the jury veneer, and um, I think they have a lot of the same attributes. That I uh, that exists in teachers, which is the reason why I like them. So, um, you know, I've changed that position somewhat considerably. Frank Gimble has served as both a federal prosecutor and a criminal defense attorney in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I asked him what lessons he has learned in his career, which he would want to pass on to young lawyers. You know, I've been doing this for 53 years. I spent uh, I spent five years as a federal prosecutor. I think uh, the one thing uh, that uh, young trial lawyers should uh, know is never underestimate the other side of your case. Try to get a book on the style of the other side of your case if this case is going to go to trial. Try to anticipate what the other side is likely to do and be ready to counterpunch because uh, trials are not unlike boxing matches in that uh, each side has an opportunity to score points but um, there are uh, often times within the trial where all you can do is block the other guy's punches. And I think that uh, if you have a good understanding about the style of the other person in the litigation uh, and you have a reasonable expectation of what's likely to uh, occur during the course of the presentation of the case, you're better prepared for that counterpunch and defense of your position. Can you tell me a story about how you learned that? Well, I learned that uh, when I was a young lawyer, uh, I did spend uh, five years as a federal prosecutor, as I said. I tried a case one time back in the 1960s where I was prosecuting a person who was ostensibly the head of the mafia in Milwaukee. The case was being tried in Springfield, Illinois, and uh, I learned on the weekend before the trial was to commence that the FBI had conducted an illegal electronic surveillance of the defendant in the case. And uh, I was uh, informed of that by an assistant attorney general in the United States. And uh, so the morning that the trial was supposed to start in this uh, distant place away from where I live and where I worked, uh, I made a disclosure to the court that uh, the government had engaged in inappropriate uh, law enforcement behavior, but I had an internal revenue case, it was a tax case, and I, uh, I asserted to the court that I felt confident that uh, the evidence that had been developed by the Internal Revenue Service uh, was not infected by whatever, other, whatever information the FBI had picked up. 
and uh, that I wanted to have a motion to suppress. The lawyer who was the lead lawyer on the other side was a very cagey, experienced lawyer from Chicago, and uh, he was not kind. He was not gentle. He was uh, a very uh, aggressive uh, opponent, and uh, I, it seemed in that case, even though I had all the resources of the government and the defendant in the case had his own personal resources who were nowhere equivalent to what I had as resources, it was a, it was a slugfest for, uh, as it turned out, about three months. Uh, I was eventually successful in the case, but uh, there was never a day when I didn't feel that I was black and blue at the end of the day. And, uh, and, and watching the opponent lawyer uh, deal with the issues that arose in the case and uh, treating with disdain uh, me as a government lawyer uh, was his style. And it was, uh, it was an effective style up to the point of uh, being successful in the outcome of the case, but it certainly gave me an education about how some cases are not played by the, uh, by the Marcus of Queensbury rules, that uh, rules are kind of flexible in terms of how lawyers treat other lawyers in the courtroom. And in that particular case, uh, I was, uh, at the end of the day, more the target of the other lawyer because he didn't want to talk about the merits of the case, and he wanted to talk about the sins of the government, uh, and, and that was a very valuable lesson, and I've, I've carried that uh, with me for these 40-plus uh, years since that trial took place. When I asked Los Angeles business trial lawyer Patty Glazer about her aha moments, I received a response I didn't expect. Aha moments are... Or, or it's one of those misconceptions about trial work because, especially in the business context, I can't speak about criminal and personal injury, medical malpractice, but in the business context, uh, you know, 80% of what you do is is uh, in, for trial is done pre-trial in creating the witness outlines and creating the focus and the and the lines of inquiry so that you get the answers you expect. Um, so aha moments, it's when you get the uh, moments that you didn't anticipate that are really good for you, uh, and n no amount of preparation would have brought you to that point that are, I guess, and maybe we have a different definition of aha, but aha moments. When you have um, a lawyer on the witness stand in an in a, in a attorney malpractice case, you're representing the plaintiff, and um, you ask him about a particular document and the negligence uh, surrounding his preparation of the document, and his response is something in words or substance, well, I was actually only looking at that at 10,000 feet. Um, and, and the natural question that comes to mind, which came to mind here in, the, in this particular case the jury loved, is, well, do you charge the same billing rate at 10,000 feet as you do on the ground? You know, and those were that's an aha, you know, aha moment because he didn't. I didn't expect his answer, and he didn't expect me to follow up. And the jury, of course, loved it because they don't like lawyers to begin with, probably. So it was an aha moment. Most people's testimony, I could predict for you, uh, even when I'm cross-examining them. Uh, I know what they said in deposition and you, you typically like to stick to that as much as possible. And then every once in a while, as you get older, you can 
sort of know when to take the risk, even though it's not in the game plan, um, and when not to take the risk. So when somebody has, has is on the witness stand and they directly contradict answers to interrogatories, and you're ready with that, those are aha, aha moments. There are moments in a deposition where somebody says something to you that surprises you based on the documents you've reviewed. Pleasant surprise. There, I mean, obviously, sometimes there's an unpleasant surprise, but I'd rather have it be in depot than trial. And um, those moments are wonderful. And then you you get the answer and you quickly move on because you can't believe you just struck gold. And you so quickly good. move on because you want just enough but not enough for them to retract. Is that right? Absolutely. I had I took a deposition the other day and I decided a particular order of questions and and instead of giving the guy time to it was a sophisticated guy time to warm up, I immediately went for the very essence of my case, and he gave me an answer and he uh, uh, he blurts out an answer and there's a break talks to his lawyer an hour later and he comes back and he says you know that answer I gave I want to change it. Okay, fine. I mean, I think that's stupid, but that's what he did. <laughs> so yeah, there's you know, but but part of me know again, just like trial preparation, depot preparation, people think they can just wing it, and that's just a mistake. Thanks to all our participants for sharing their insights with us. We hope you find these tips valuable. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, powered by WestSearch, the world's most advanced legal search engine delivering the best results in seconds. Learn more at westlawnext.com.